let's see, how should we do this? Should, should we give him the winner first or work our way up? Yeah, start with the winner, right? Okay. Oh. Hey there, everybody. I'm Miranda, and this is No Putts Given. I'm here with Chris, Tony, and Harry. And I know we told you last week we were going to talk about drivers, but I, I think we've got something um, bigger and better to talk about this week. So uh, let's get it. 73. Just kidding. We're talking about drivers. It's Most Wanted Monday. We've got all of the data. We have the winners, the runners up. We're going to break it all down for you here. So welcome to No Putts Given Most Wanted Monday edition. Guys, how are we doing? Good. Most wanted Monday. First big test out of the way. That's always like that's that's always a hurdle. Are you breathing a little bit better? <sighs> no. Give me a week. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're still in the midst of it. Well, before we we get into the winners, uh, Harry, I want to come to you very quickly um, because this is the first test that we finished in 2021 and probably one of the most extensive tests that we've done since the start of quarantining and COVID. What was it like having testers come through and following protocols and making sure the data is still correct and that everybody's safe? I mean, it's like a normal most wanted tests period. Mm -hmm. We're always very strict on the protocols and make sure that everything is to a T. And if it's not, we scrap that data and then make and redo it. But for protocols for um, COVID, everyone comes in here and wears a mask. The only reason, reason why I'm not wearing a mask is because I'm enclosed in an office space right now. But as soon as I step out of that door, it's mass on 24-7, making sure that we keep everyone safe and therefore we can keep testing so we can keep publishing results for you guys out there. How about testers? Were they comfortable and happy to follow all the rules and make sure we get the data that we need? Yeah. I mean, if they weren't, we completely understood. We wiped down them every club that we test in between tests. We are taking every precaution to make sure that every tester is comfortable. If they're not, um, we understand and we, we, try and replace them as, as good as we can. We've had um, numerous people who are concerned, but they've said that we're doing the, all the right things. So it's good. Well, Tony, even with all of that going on, what I'm hearing behind the scenes is that it's one of the smoothest tests that we've had so far from a data perspective, right? No snags, nothing to fix. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, there are, there are challenges with Every step of the way, right? You've got to you got to make sure your inputs into the system when your listing clubs are good, and and when you export that that you're exporting in the right format so that we can actually crunch the numbers without having to to take out characters that shouldn't be in there and things like that. Just you know, data management issues and managing that and and having that go smoothly is really step one towards the whole test running smoothly. And you know, from end to end this year, everything has has really operated almost as as ideally as it possibly could, and so that's that that's made it a little easier to get to this point, maybe a, a little earlier than we expected to be, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely came in ahead of schedule. So I don't know, should we go ahead and and tell them who the winners are? Should we break the news? Tell them what they've sure. won, Bob. Tell them what they've Do won. Do we need a drum roll? All right, Matt, help me out. <laughs> Our best overall driver, and you know, clarify our, our key metric here is the strokes gain value that we use. And uh, not surprising to me anyway, the Callaway Epic Max LS finishes top Ooh, of the table. Fireworks, 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 Matt. <laughs> Running down the top five, number two, Titleist TSI2, number three, Cobra Radspeed, four, the 
Tor Edge EXS Pro, and rounding out the top five, Cobra again, this time with the Radspeed XB. So all right. very, very strong showing for Cobra this year. And they're always there. They're they, always yeah, out it's, there. It's just they can't quite get to that number one spot, but they're always good drivers. I think we need a new category called like most wanted winner adjacent because like Cobra would kill like how many years? Like F9 was yeah. absolutely right there, right? I mean, we've had a number of years, right, where Cobra is, you know, let's say there's somebody that always finished second to like Michael Phelps and has like 3,000 silver medals. That'd kind of be Cobra. You know, like they're just yeah. so close, but... It's a solid driver. Yeah, I shouldn't take away from, um, you know, what they've been able to accomplish. And again, is relatively probably, you know, one of the smallest, I guess, of the big of the big five in that regard, right? Yeah. Pretty impressive. All right, Tony, you talked to me about the Callaway. And if I remember correctly, you predicted this on an earlier episode of No Putts Given, am I mistaken? I did, I did, I and that was, so. you know, we didn't have the data in any, what I would say, usable format there. We just kind of had a, a trickling in of various session files. So again, it's 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 not a surprise to me because we see Callaway do really well, typically in ball speed. They they keep spin under control. The LS model in particular, they've, they've kind of increased that MOI that forgiveness and put it kind of in that ping ping LST space and and typically those those drivers have done really well for us and so looking at it is hey we have we have kind of all these things that we know Callaway does really well and and some tweaks with center of gravity location and MOI that typically test well for us you would expect it to do really well and and be near the top you know, given 5 6 years of most wanted history now uh, so yeah, not not a surprise really to me. Chris, were you surprised? No, I mean you know looking through the data last night a little bit, there were actually very few surprises. Uh, you know from top to bottom, I think there's always companies that wish they would do a little bit better. I'm, I'm sure nobody saw the data. I was like, oh man, we did too well. We kind of outkicked our <laughs> coverage there, and and um, that was surprising to them. I think there's always some companies that would say if every uh, golfer were specifically fit for our particular clubs and this and that and whatever. And, and, and that's always going to be true. There's always going to be some of those caveats. But, you know, we went back and said that, you know, we fully expected the the top companies, the biggest companies to probably continue to do well. That's one of the reasons, one of the benefits of being some of these larger companies, they do pour a tremendous amount of money into R&D on these levels. And, and again, when you're getting to that absolute, you know, elite level of testing, which you know, frankly, we're probably the only ones that can make that claim because there's, you know, what was this, 18,000 shots or something, Harry? Or... Yeah, it was 18 and a half, something like that. It was a lot of I mean, money shots. I think it's 18,115 or 110, right in, uh, that's within yeah, five shots lot. of the number that, that, that came out. And that's, to be clear, that's, you know, we do have an outlier detection process we kind of run through. It's, you know, our... Uh, our colander if you will we dump all the shots into it and the, and the bad ones stick the really bad yeah. ones the garbage it's actually what we call it as our garbage filter um, but yeah i mean it was it's a massive amount of shots you know really and we haven't even got to the point of disaggregating the data based on things like swing speed or getting everything into true golf fit where people could see maybe what matches up better with their you know swing speed angle of attack tempo all of those kind of things so 
am I surprised by it? No, not really. I'm I'm actually I'm just really impressed. Like you just look at the top to bottom, you go, hmm, A, a lot of really quality products out there, and and B, um, just the sheer amount of data, you know, compared to what we see on some of these you know, ridiculous, hey, here's, you know, I'm YouTube Joe, I'm going to hit a ball five times and tell you that it's this, that or whatever, like, you know, it's the difference between walking out to your front porch to grab the morning newspaper and walking out and running a marathon and coming back and grabbing the new paper, you know, it's just, they're not even comparable. There is, and I have these conversations with some of the R&D guys I work with, right, where it takes time, it takes, and time meaning, volume of shots for for some of the differences to really shine through because i think we would all agree that especially at the top of the table there there isn't a lot between these drivers and so any of the differences are going to be nuanced they're going to be small small enough that you can't see the difference but not so small that you ultimately won't appreciate the difference on the golf course that's that's kind of my thinking over from from shot to shot from round to round and Season to season, if you're a guy who actually keeps a driver in his bag for for the duration or for a good run there. so Who are those people? Yeah. It, it does matter. Uh, and the, and the, the last thing I would emphasize before we move on is, like you touched upon, first of all, every manufacturer, I think, believes they have the best driver. And certainly they believe that if you are fit for our driver, it will beat any other driver you get fit for or certainly beat an off-the-rack driver. And we're huge proponents of fitting. We, we tell everybody to go get fit. Uh, this test is designed to, to give people who are going to give go get fit something to think about, some drivers to consider that may not have been on their list. And it's also a huge acknowledgement of the fact that as, as much as we say go get fit and believe you should be fit for every club in your bag, we know that's not going to happen. And so you know, our ultimate goal here is to give you the best recommendation we possibly can you know, based on what your approach is going to be to, to buying your new driver. I was just going to say my my one analogy for the day, my first analogy for the day. Maybe I'm already on no, my second not. or third. No, it's not. You just you just ran I don't a marathon know, analogy. But I was thinking about <laughs> it. I was thinking about it like this. So, like one of my daughters is going back and like watching uh, all of the Friends episodes, right? Like she's hooked mm. on it, right? And I definitely watched that first time. Harry's too. been there. Harry's been there. Harry gets it many and so, times. And it's like I absolutely think somebody could watch you know, friends and get the gist of everything, you know, first time through and go, oh, I have an appreciation for it, right? But how many times, whether it's like an episode like that, where you pick up something you didn't see the first time, or there's a little mm-hmm. nuance or a twist or a or an Easter egg that got hidden in there that you didn't catch for that third, fourth, fifth, maybe sixth time you've seen it. We see it with movies, we see it with that. And that's kind of how I like in our testing that where we've run it through, you know, not just one filter of this type of performance for one player that swings it at a 120 miles an hour that has this tempo and this rhythm and whatever. But then we run it through. It's like watching that movie 10, 15, 20 times and really trying to pick up on every nuance and detail and and make sure that a light gets shined on that particular you know aspect of performance as well. And you just can't do some of those things quickly. You can't rush that type of testing just to get information out in front of people um you know you you're doing you're actually doing a disservice i think to the end consumer by by doing that because it's really not great information my opinion my soapbox harry what was tester feedback on the callaway does it line up with callaway taking the top spot when you put a callaway in the hands of many testers they like they like the look of it they like the compactness of the head they like the deep face that you see on them 
what jumped out of them more is ball speed. They liked the higher ball speed throughout the calories, and they've been pushing that since AI technologies, they get better ball speeds. And it's proven to be true. What was interesting this year, and I was one of those testers, is that for the lowest spinning driver, I was in and around 22 to 23, which is exactly where I kind of want to be when it comes to just be able to control the 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 ball trajectory, not so far where it's, uh, say, you know, 1700, where it's getting in that region of a knuckleball. So seeing 22, 23 spin rates across all of their models is really what I was excited about. Tony, what did the gap between first and second place look like? Because Titleist, I know, had a really great performance this year. You know, when you get into the strokes gain view, it's it's always narrow. So, you know, really, really close. And when we we dig deeper into it to understand why why the Epic LS nipped the Titleist by just a little bit, uh, what we saw when we looked at the dispersion, we use a graduated strokes gain model, which essentially means that as shots travel farther offline, they're, they're penalized a little bit more. And so what we saw in the dispersion patterns is that, that both drivers were relatively straight overall, but when when shots strayed off the fairway, the the distribution pattern with the, with the TSI-2 was just a slightly more to the right, a little farther offline that way on average on, on those misses. And so that was the difference. But you know, to put a number on it would be really tiny because <laughs> the strokes gain numbers are always really tiny anyway. So it's, you know, it's, it's fractions different. And, and certainly one of those things where if, if you were to take both of those drivers into a hitting bay with you and for whatever reason you, you know, you hit both well, but you like the TSI two a little bit better. You know, I, I, I couldn't argue that you were making a, a tremendous mistake by <laughs> in any reasonable way. So yeah. super close. And in fact, it's, you know, we typically find when you kind of run this through various calculations that we've done in the past to look at, you know, reliability, statistical significance, things like that, the top handful of drivers tend to be similar, really, really similar in performance. And then once you get beyond that, then you start really getting into, all right, you know, maybe for, for fewer golfers, think of it as a probability, right, of getting a, a really good fit off the rack, if you will, the probability is is higher at the top of the chart. And as you start to move down, it, it starts to drop is how I would describe it. So to answer your question, minimally different, but you know, we pick winners. But I would say a good reason why Titleist did well, obviously it's a really good driver, but we had multiple fitting opportunities with a variety of the Titleists. We have, they have the most depth stock shaft offerings in the test, because uh, I'm going through True Golf Fit and I, they had at least seven different shafts for the stock offerings. May, I might be lying on that. It might be one or two more. <laughs> <laughs> I might be lying. I may have just made up a number. <laughs> they have a lot of drivers for stock options. <laughs> they do. They do a really good job. Of, you know, and, and they'll tell you, hey, we're a fitting company. And so you know, we want to provide fitting options. And, and we, to be clear, we didn't use the, the premium yeah. stock offerings we we stuck to the no upgrades we would call the stock shafts uh the no upcharge ones right where there's not gonna be right. any cost difference right right and so and titleist tends it's with every model with the exception of the ts1 which is you know kind of a niche driver designed to be light and so you you need to use super lightweight shafts to achieve that 
they do a really good job of providing not just low mid and launch but some kind of nuance in between there so kind of a low mid option so it's typically four or five options in in either driver and so even in an off the rack environment so to speak you're providing more fitting options uh, than than most brands and the other thing is they they don't they don't mess around with the really watered down super made for type stuff if you will you know we, we've talked before there are differences between say a, a, a tensei and a tensei pro for example and some of that stuff is more or less created for manufacturers and stock lineups but is still decent enough to fit a good percentage or or fit into fit some golfers in the aftermarket so it's not some of the trash we see in in other lineups and so that's another reason i think you know the the shaft matters and when i look at this list and, and look at look at drivers that didn't perform possibly as well as i would expect i do wonder hey you know if they had if they had invested just a tick more in in the stock shaft offerings and what they give to consumers would would the outcome have been different yeah I'm seeing right now that some of those ones that performed below average only offered maybe one additional shaft to fit you into. Some of them are glued. And then when it comes to the ones that are you can adjust, there was only potentially one shaft you could really fit them into that is other than the one that's already in the club. The shaft matters, let's face it. <laughs> And it's cost-driven too, so it's not exclusively, but... Largely, I mean primarily. Larger companies tend to offer more options with once you get into, you know, the small and even small to mid-sized companies, your your stock shaft options are very limited. And so when you talk about things in terms of a probability of getting a, getting a good fit, those brands, they're just not offering you as, as high, as good as of odds. Just kind of walking into a golf shop and say, "I'm going to try this one," yep. um, because there's just you know those those shaft options just aren't there to to fit a wide variety of golfers. Hey Tony, I have a question for you. So here's my question, or Harry, or anybody. So if I'm trying to explain, because I, I was <laughs> reading some rather comical things this week on strokes gained, and it's clear that people otherwise intelligent or whatever really don't have a clue what strokes gained is or pretend not to know or whatever the case is how would i best explain like in 240 characters or less to somebody else reading this they're looking okay i get ball speed that's like miles per hour it's like a car i can do that right launch angle spin rates probably get that and then you see all strokes gained and you see these really really tiny numbers relatively speaking and go okay well this one is 0.025 better than that one does that mean I have to play a hundred rounds and this club's one stroke better than this one. Or like, how would you explain that to somebody to make it make sense really quick? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult explanation, right? It, it's effectively setting an expectation based on an outcome, which obviously is more muddled than we want it to be. So kind of how I explain it and why we use it, you can take all the technical stuff off of the table for now and, from the time we did our first driver test, we were like, all right, how do we quantify the idea that the best driver is the one that goes the longest and the straightest and, and also produces the most consistent results? Because, right, is it is it better to be straighter but a little shorter or longer and a little more offline and, and all of these right. permutations of that? And so 
using stroke scan, you're able to kind of put a value on, you know, where is that break even point? Where, where do you get penalized for being offline? Things like that. And so we set up our test to mirror a golf course, right? We, we project an actual hole. We have actual fairways. Roll is limited by a ball landing in the rough. All of these things that, that we bundle into our test to make it more like golf. And then we, we build on the stroke scan formula because there's some things in there with that, you know, when you discuss it, we worked with Lou Stagner on this a little bit last year, kind of discussing in the real world, under a strokes gain formula, the base formula, whether you're five yards off the fairway or 30 yards off the fairway, that, that effectively has the same value. Well, we think that that doesn't really make sense because we know from playing golf that in the overwhelming majority of times, if the farther you get offline, the more trouble you're in. And so we we kind of we call it a graduated strokes gain value. We, we tweak it. So there's, there's, as you go more offline, you're penalized. And so ultimately to answer your question, what, how we leverage strokes gain is to reward the drivers that, that are longer and straighter and that avoid deep trouble and do all of those things that, that you want to see happen on a golf course. They do that well while minimizing the the stuff you don't want to see. Yeah. So kind of sum it up, right? So like, Strokes gain, like I said, it's relative to an outcome. So Harry and I are in the middle of the fairway. We it's a four hundred yard par four. We both hit our drives exactly two hundred and fifty yards. We have one hundred and fifty yards left to the pin. Did I hit two iron? Uh, you hit two iron. I hit full driver, okay. and I and I <laughs> killed it too. It was awesome. And and so it's okay. So somebody at my level, they might say, okay, on average, it should take you two point one strokes to hold out from here. If I hold out in two strokes. I gained one-tenth of a shot, right? So that'd be a strokes gain yeah. point, right? Let's say Harry, as a plus handicap, let's say his was 3.9 uh, or 1.9 strokes from the middle of the fairway to hold out on average, and he bogeys it because I got in his head and it was super easy and that kind of stuff. So he would have lost 1.1 strokes, right? And that's mm-hmm. where, that that's the basic idea. Like you said, relative to an expectation or an outcome, how did a driver perform relative to that particular expectation as opposed to just like oh ball go far driver good and we you know those outcomes when you're talking about strokes gain on the pga tour right you're saying how did dustin johnson perform with his driver relative to zach johnson right that well to the rest of the field right yes to the field yeah exactly and so we do a similar thing where instead of golfers, the, the clubs are the substitution for the golfer. And so we say, how did the Callaway Epic Max LS do relative to all the other drivers in our field? Right. As opposed to comparing a two handicap to a five or to the field, it's driver, well, driver versus driver. Versus, versus driver. driver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't send a letter, Wilson. <laughs> I'm glad we visited that lesson because when I first started working at my golf spy, I said, all right, I get everything, but explain strokes gained to me. And at that point, Harry, I think I was asking you and you said, I can't. I just, you've got it. <laughs> well, it's very confusing. You've got to know enough to be able to explain it to you. But I think you can give a couple really simple examples and it you makes can. total sense. Like the first time I read Brody's book, it was like, oh, yeah, this makes 100% sense. And and if there's still some people out there you know, claiming that pros don't use it or claiming that it's like, I got to think that strokes gain is going to become, I mean, it already is, right? Becoming the metric moving forward, Arcos, shot scope. And it really isn't that confusing. But I think you need a couple easy, concrete examples to get it. Otherwise, it is kind of like you see all these really small numbers, yeah. and you go, "Ah, that I don't know. That's a lot of that's a lot of decimals." For me, for Arcos, 
the stuff that I am seeing individually is based on my game. To say I've played 20 rounds, my strokes gained is based on those 20 rounds. And now if I play 30, it's based on the 30, blah, blah, blah. So based on a benchmark, like you could benchmark yourself against a PGA Tour player, or I could benchmark myself against, you know, a scratch golfer and say, okay, where am I gaining or losing strokes? Like, like again, Tony, if you only watch Tony putt, you'd go, guy's probably a plus handicap, right? And, And so you can look at those different pieces of your game and benchmark individual parts of your game relative to somebody at a different skill level. Right. So I've got mine on like um, a plus four handicapper. And then when I want to feel good about myself, I go to like a 10 handicapper and then guess what? I'm a really good player. I mean, it's it's the takeaway, right? It's easy to get bogged down in the small numbers and, and the numbers are always going to be small. And there's some things we have to do so that contributions are leveled such that a guy who hits it as far as Harry isn't skewing the test in, in contrast to the, to maybe the shortest hitter on our test. So right. you know, we do some things to to level that out and, and create a fair playing field, if you will, that doesn't favor guys who hit it longer as a, a strokes gain calculation naturally does. So there's a lot of work that goes into to make it fair, to make it make sense. And and while you look at those small numbers, there are differences between them, even <laughs> on, a, on a percentage basis, if you want to think it that way. So you know, the simple answer is the higher number is still best. Yeah. It's, well, you're running the 100 meter dash in the Olympics. It, it it comes down to hundreds of a second or tenths of a second, and that's exactly it can separate. You know, let's actually break down some of why the LS was actually good. <laughs> Phillips, yeah. <laughs> uh, what? So I mean, Philip texted me last night. He's like, so other than than being long and you know having high strokes gain value, what you know, what else can we say about the LS? I was like, well, it was also really forgiving. I'm like, yeah, just, exactly. Like, exactly. Just, like, the LS. <laughs> It was checks every bot. I don't know. So the LS finished sixth in the overall forgiveness rank, which is really, really high. Considering a couple of years ago when they came out of AI, forgiveness, they didn't do too well because across that face, if you miss hit it on the toe or heel, wherever it was. <laughs> Anywhere but the middle. Yeah. Exactly. Just- so they actually went in and told the computer, just look at this part here and this part right here. And it's clearly done well, finishing sixth. It's, I mean, that is, is, is good. At distance, it became number one. Overall strokes gained ranking was one. I mean, it was just one of those drivers that performed consistently well. And that's, I mean, what I see in the, the data this year, especially is the drivers that were at the top tend to be at or near the top almost across the board. So the Titleist TSI2 hit a ton of fairways mm-hmm. was was really forgiving in under our metrics. The Cobra Rad Speed, right, and XB, both both near the top overall performance, both among the longest drivers, neither one of them particularly wayward, if you will. There is probably more consistency across the table than we, we sometimes see. So yeah, I mean, if anything, I I take it as like, hey, yeah, these are these really are the the best drivers, I think, on the market this year. And if you if you're just looking at a ball speed and then you think that you can dial it in with a with an upgraded shaft or whatever shaft that you like, I mean let's let's just run down some of the top ball speeds. Sim two, one three nine point seven eight. The top of the table, right? And then you got TS four one three nine point five two. TSI four. Sorry, TSI four. TSI three, one three nine four nine. And then you got Epic Speed, one three nine three nine. Epic Max 139.34. 
And, and then a couple ping drivers, couple Cobra go, drivers. I mean, it's oh yeah. Hey, something I found interesting was that the yeah. G410 outperformed the G425. Correct? We we didn't necessarily predict that. Yeah, yeah. The 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 yeah. the previous model LST produced higher stroke gain values for us than the uh, the yep. G425. And you know, I, I I can't tell you why. It'd be interesting. I think we're gonna we're gonna isolate those two at some point and dig a little deeper. So readers ask us quite a bit. You know, hey, can you can you keep the previous winner in the test? And so this year we're like, yeah, let's let's do that. And you know, the the LST, the G four ten LST, uh, finished in the top ten, top nine, maybe. So and here's here's this crazy thing about this. Okay, we did not change the shaft. Now that is just the stock shaft in there, and it still performed phenomenally well. That's just a, a tidbit to put in there. The other thing I thought was interesting is like sometimes you get right companies that have so like you're you're running down the top you know five six seven eight nine in ball speed and almost kind of like as a family you know Callaway family would probably be one Tito's family would probably be two which is almost exactly like the overall <laughs> rankings right kind of if we had to go through that and then you know some companies right where they have different price points within there and and you don't necessarily always see that follow through where like Tour Edge. They're they're higher modern. I guess they're you know what they would determine to be more of their flagship model did test far and away better than their more budget model, right? I mean, yeah, the, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. I mean, it, it tested it. It didn't perform very well at all. However, flip that the other way. I think overall number six driver right was the O two eleven, which is PXG's. You know, I'm looking at that model, right now. Right? Is that correct? Was it six? Yeah. So okay. So so it was sixth overall and fifth in forgiveness. Yeah. And so again, as a tester in in that situation, you look at you know PXG's flagship models for this year, Gen Four, were kind of middle of the road, right? Yeah, I would say they all finished kind of above the average line, but not not. I wouldn't say significantly above average. If if I were grouping as we do in in Ball Lab, I would I would qualify them as average for this test. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And again, average isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? We've we've seen that bar. Well, you're not losing anything. No, you've basically. seen that bar chase up and up and up over time yeah. too. Where consistently, club you know companies are making better clubs, but you didn't see that kind of disparity. I mean, you know, a tour edge is like, hey, one really good one, one eh, not good at all, and and PXU just a little bit the opposite. So. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Here's what I would give advice to golfers out there. What is the thing that you're looking for this year? Are you looking for ball speed? For me, I'm looking for consistency. So I'm looking for a little bit more forgiveness. You had the easiest decision when, well, when yeah, you I'm reached not, out not... yesterday and say, what's my best for these three categories? Like <laughs> When you ask me that question and I go and find that data and the answer is for for overall performance, for distance, and for, for and for forgiveness, when the answer is the same for for one person, <laughs> well, like TSI that. three, I crushed it in all of those categories. But what so I am, you're Harry, you're switching to the Titleist then? Is that what I'm hearing? I am going to be putting it up against my current driver right now and okay. seeing if it outperforms. For me, I care about fairways hit right now, so I want a little bit more consistent spin rates across the face. I want fairways hit. And I might not be looking at the, the Callaway LS for me personally. I might be looking at the, what's the most consistent driver on the market. If it's for you, you need to gain some yardage. Look at the yardage and then look at the strokes gained when it comes to forgiveness, all this kind of stuff. So, Or if it's value, price point. Whatever it is, that's the where 
the reason why we do this test, like Tony said earlier, is to narrow it down to give you the best decision possible for when you go in and test these clubs. And don't just look at the distance. Look at everything else that comes along with your game, whether it's, like I said, ball speed, forgiveness, fairies hit. Look at what your game is and not what you think your game should be. Get it. That's good advice. So guys, one of the other things that we do, we don't just do one through five. We give you the best forgiveness, best distance and metrics like that. So Tony, this year, what is the most forgiving driver? So I believe for the second year in a row, Harry can confirm. I, I have memory issues, I think. Uh, yes, but the, <laughs> I, the, can, I can confirm. So the Honma TR2460 finished on top of, under our forgiveness metric, followed by the Titleist TSI2, the Edge EXS Pro, Callaway Epic Max, PXG 0211, rounding out the top five. And if you want to jump one down one more, just to give it a mention, the, the Epic Max LS is right there. And yeah. I should mention our our approach to forgiveness is I think unique. It's it's just one of those things that's that's difficult to quantify. And if you ask five people in in golf club R and D what forgiveness is, you'll probably get five different six answers. Six different answers. Yeah, like maybe six. six. <laughs> and so so simple. Very simply, what we do is is take the strokes gain value for each tester club combination. What is your strokes gain value for your best shots? What is your strokes gain value for your worst shots? And and the difference between those becomes our forgiveness metric. So the the narrower the gap between your best shots and your worst shots, that's how we define forgiveness. And under that metric, Honma does exceptionally well again. And again, the Titleist TSI two right there, Epic Max LS, you know, certainly in the top ten. More of that that flatlining across the table, if you will. Okay. How about for distance? We know Callaway's at the top. What's next? Yeah, so distance, and this is this is one a lot of people, when you're in the hitting bay, is what people probably focus on. So our top five for distance, you mentioned Callaway, Epic Max LS, just about 1.2 yards behind in our averages, mm-hmm. the Cobra Radspeed XB. Right behind that, by a margin that is probably not worth discussing, is the, the Cobra Radspeed. And then right behind Radspeed, again, within literal tenths, TSI three, TSI four, G four ten LST, and then the the epic speed is, you know, that gets you everything that's above two forty two point two in our tests. So the four twenty five is not even in there. The LST, the four twenty five LST. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's you know top. it's middle of the pack. It is. It's, 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 okay. Well, it's above it's above average by a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean okay. I would say you know again looking at having things color coded is nice. It, it's certainly in that that mid to upper portion of the average range, yeah. but yeah, it, it, it wasn't a standout this year. All right. That's interesting. I will say though, if you, not to muddy the waters, but we do look muddy at- Muddy them. Go ahead. <laughs> again, because if you, if you give, ask five guys, you'll get six different answers um, and hopefully a good cheeseburger. When we, Oof. well, another way we look at forgiveness is kind of a, a standard metric is what is the standard deviation of, of ball speed? right? It's, that doesn't necessarily translate to, Hey, was it straight? What are strokes gain values? But it's, it's a simple kind of conventional metric. And when we look at that metric, what we do see borne out is that the high MOI companies and, you know, the two highest MOI companies right now are, are ping and PXG. And that's looking at that kind of really conventional metric. We, we do see those companies near the top, almost across the board. Yeah, our, st- our standard deviations are pretty tight across all matrix that we do when we when we 
end up calculating our final decisions. And basically, standard, uh, standard deviations is just basically consistency. That's that's the bottom line. The lower the number, the better and more more, more consistent our data is. As if anyone was out there asking what the hell is standard deviation, because that was me. <laughs> <laughs> right when I first came into my golf swing, that was me. What the hell is standard deviation? So it's basically consistency. Yeah, that's a it's it's a solid consistency metric, but it's yeah it, it tells one piece of a story, like yeah. the majority of, of golf metrics, unfortunately. Which is again why we like strokes gained, is it gives you kind of this more comprehensive view. It's a composite. Yeah, love that. All right. Well, another most wanted driver test in the books. That article is live on the website. If you want to go look at all of the data, it's all there for you. We've broken it down. You have the ability to click and buy if any of them stand out to you. So go to the website, check it out. We'll put a link here. But guys, I wanted to switch gears a little bit. Last week we were talking and the week before we were talking about the USGA and their distance reports and some of their findings as they study that. So we hopped to action and put a lab together and it is also live on our website. So you can go take a look at that. It went out last week, but the T height test. So we're looking at for simple solutions as a way to tackle the distance problem. Tony, what did the T height test find that would be good information for our listeners? Well, I would, I would start <laughs> by saying there is no distance problem. It's yeah. made up bullshit. <laughs> um, Fair enough. We'll start this, there. But the, I should start doing this, the distance problem. But you're making my course obsolete, Tony. I know. That's terrible. So we what we did was take two different T heights, 0.5 and 1.5 inches. And I want to be clear, that is that is measured from ground level. So, yeah. you know, these are getting into kind of what you would consider small and, and mid to, to taller T's at, at a certain playing, at the actual playing height. And what we found, not surprisingly, was that the taller T was significantly longer. I don't, I don't have the number in front of me. Twenty something yards, I believe. So it's uh, the zero point five inches of a T was two four one point seven two for carry compared to two five five point nine one. Yeah, so, like fourteen nine one, so almost fifteen yards difference. That's fairly significant. Yes. Yes. Well, if you're trying to cut a distance, apparently, if that's what you're trying to do, that's a great option. And the reasons behind that are, you know, relatively straightforward and simple to explain with a, you have a massive driver head's pretty big. And, and so when you lower the tee height, what you're effectively doing is, is forcing the golfer to hit it lower on the face, lower on the face spins more. And yep. for most golfers, spin is going to be a distance killer. And that's, that's certainly what we found. Oh, spin, test. spin, and launch angle, depending right, on right. Lower, exactly. lower launch as well. It was lower launch, so it was on average the shorter tee was spinning about four hundred revs, give or take, and then you're launching at nine point six compared to thirteen point one for the longer tee. But here's where the interesting part about it is: fairways hit was fifty-seven point nine four with the shorter tee. Now you compare that with the uh, one point five, which is the longer tee. You're looking at 65.66%. And obviously, this is fairways percentage. Yes, it's spinning more, but you're losing fairways percentage hits by launching a little bit lower, but spinning it higher. And typically, what you see uh, with that is as the T height lowers, the, the face to path relationship changes. Changes. It's yep. steeper. Yeah. Guys move from in to out to out to in, and that that tends to promote a fade as well. And so that's, in most cases, is going to bring you farther offline. And it's one of those tour player tricks that, that not everybody is maybe aware of. So, 
you know, I was I was at a Cobra event a few years ago with Ricky Fowler, and one of the things he talked about was if if he is on a hole, and and it sits up in such a way that he feels like he needs to hit a fade, one of the things he'll do is just lower the tee height just a little bit. So here's uh-huh. the interesting part about PGA Tour Pro. On average, they actually hit negative one point three degrees down. I think it is on average. Now the bigger hitters on tour. They're hitting up on the ball for so the likes of Dustin Johnson, McElroy. Bryson. <laughs> I would imagine Bryson has a pretty positive angle yeah. of attack. <laughs> but on average, <laughs> it's negative because they want to create a little bit more spin to control the flight. That's going to be one of those things that that changes with time. It's, it's sort of all in you know how you were taught to play the game, right? So you, you still mm-hmm. have the generation of players who who growing up didn't have access to launch monitors, didn't fully understand how to optimize distance using a tank angle of attack, for example. And so, you know, with, with modern understanding, modern teaching, the modern golfer is is being taught to hit up on the ball. And there's still some examples like Cam Champ, for example, still hits down and, and right, murders. Yeah, but for the most time. part, you do see guys, you know, the younger generation hitting up on it, more distance because of it. So... Okay, so let's say we did this, right? So let's say they came out and tried this and, and whatever the case was. In the short term, you know, maybe these numbers would bear out uh, and, and see that. But wouldn't you have to also think that the OEMs and manufacturers would be like, okay, well, now here's this. So how are we going to work around that? We're going to, you know, guys are going to have nine degree, like Bryson, they were talking about his, you know, basically driver lofted three wood. Our guy's going to end up with a 300cc shallow face, you know, kind of what this frankenwood stuff that you know phil had played before and we saw it with uh the mini driver right taylor may had that basically you end up with these 9 10 11 degree mini drivers that would probably get back a fair bit of whatever distance was you know was compromised yeah i think if you're talking about t height as a solution to a non-existent distance problem or if I'm if I'm going to be as fair as I'm willing to be on this, a distance problem that only exists on the PGA Tour, T height, especially if you're if you're not going to open the door to bifurcation, right? If you're going to say, hey, this is the T height, and it applies to everybody who who plays any form of competitive golf, whether that's PGA Tour or a club championship, or you know probably your weekend Nassau, since most of us play mostly to the letter of the the USGA rules there. It, it just doesn't work. It, it's not going to work because what you're going to see is exactly what you mentioned. You're going to see things like Bryson's three wood. There's, there's nothing inherent about a driver that makes it go farther or than a, than a three wood. It's all in things like weight and length and all of these things that could be built into something that is the, in the form factor of a, of a traditional fairway wood. Tour players are, are going to lose a little bit of MOI uh, if you mandated a lower T height. But even that, the the guys, the stuff that the guys play on tour tends to be lower MOI than what the average guy plays. You know, talking to Tom Olsavsky at, at Cobra, he'll tell you, you know, Rick, Ricky Fowler's not concerned about his MOI values. Bryson is not concerned about his MOI values because right. they're busting ass to hit the middle of the face. And more often than not, that's what they do. And so if you were to say, hey, 0.5 inches, for example, all, at, from ground level, however you mandate it, that is your, that is your maximum T height. Those guys are are going to figure out how to maximize distance with a three wood. They're still going to hit it in the middle of the face. They're going to get the launch conditions they want. And on top of that, 
because the head is smaller and inherently more aerodynamic. It's going to be faster. Yeah, if you try and solve a distance problem with T-height on tour, you're probably going to end up with distances actually creeping up a little bit. While at the same time, you're going to screw the amateur golfer who can't hit a three-word worst shit anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. The only thing that was better was ball speed because people were not hitting it high off the toe or high on the heel. They're actually hitting the middle of the face a little bit more often because it was actually brought down. So again, consistent tee height is very much an important factor of of your golf game because if you want to get a better ball speeds, potentially better efficiency, because obviously you still have to hit the middle of the club face for it to be, that's why it's potential. You can hit the middle of the club face more often or not if you get that tee height where consistently you want it. All right, so some interesting findings there. Maybe something that someone will mail in an anonymous envelope to the USGA. What do you think? I'm sure they're aware. And again, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I really, really hope this is again one of those things where if it would propose would would sort of be the opposite right. of a solution. Like let's 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 screw the 99.99 percent yeah. and actually encourage the the guys on tour to hit a little bit farther i think the best thing possible for this whole distance conversation i'm not even willing to call it a problem yet necessarily is uh the replacing the announcement this week of mike juan right former uh, commissioner lpga will be taking over for mike davis sometime this summer whatever date that is it's the 11th yeah the 11th executive director of the usga and he has gone on record already of saying things like you know I'm basically not going to tell ball companies to take your $100 million of R&D that you've spent on creating this and throw it in a trash can and light it on fire. That's a paraphrase. Obviously, you didn't say that. but Sounds good to me. Intimating that if we have an imbalance in this conversation, that if anything, he's coming at it from the side of the manufacturers, not not, not from the side of um, you know golf course historians and, and things like that, perhaps. So I, I actually think that's the best possible thing that could have happened for this entire insight study is that they replaced Mike Davis with uh, another Mike uh, with Michael Wan. And I, I would hope, right, coming from his LPGA background where I, I, I don't think you can make an argument that there's any sort of distance problem on the LPGA. The women aren't out there obsoleting golf courses and things like that. The average driver distance on, on the LPGA tour is probably just a bit more than the average male distance. Creeping up, so a bit more than it's been in the past. But you know, my point being, the games are at least more comparable than average golfer to the PGA Tour, at least in terms of how far they hit it. Certainly not in terms of skill by no. any reasonable measurement. I don't, I don't want to get somebody thinking I'm suggesting that that's the case because if you've ever played with a, an LPGA pro, you you really you know they what you're up They destroy everyone. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, so it's, good. It's, it's, well, yeah, like when yeah, you play like good. three holes with Lydia Ko one time, and it was like. Oh my joke that's just and, a, and again fair enough small sample size but it's like absurd. if in that 30 minutes you couldn't go you know what i will never be anywhere even close to that then you just weren't you just weren't paying attention i yeah, mean they're so absurd. good they're so good at that level it's absurd yeah but again not a distance problem on that tour and so hopefully kind of that mindset carries but here's the, here's the thing with that distance yeah on lpga is they have the course to actually let they just have to move the tee back a box and they can lengthen it that way. The problem with the PGA Tour is that apparently they're already at the far furthest back they can go. On some courses, yeah. Hmm. 
So then why at Pebble last week do you play number 10? Like you played, they played some of those tees forward. Yeah. If there's such a distance problem on one of the shorter courses on the PGA Tour. And that's on Pebble. Pebble's one of the courses they want to protect, right? They move the tee up. If distance is such a problem, why yeah. why not play it tipped out every single day? They did not. That's a really good point because when I went to watch the Wells Fargo at Eagle Point in Wilmington, fantastic golf course, but in the par threes, they could have played them all about 210 yards and they didn't. They have tees there to to hit a, to make sure that they hit a drive and they're still hitting a five iron in, in a par four. They have that option. Yeah, I just think some people with some very loud voices and boisterous opinions have convinced yeah. people that there's a problem that they think exists for for a very bizarre set of reasons that don't apply to the vast majority of humanity. And it's a very, it's a narrow and really a false premise, in my opinion. But yeah, I, uh, I've never played yeah. Pebble Beach, but my hunch is it will not, I will not obsolete it. Uh, I don't think it's <laughs> much risk there. It's going to obsolete my bank account. Can we play that? We can't play that. That's no. a tough one. Yeah, we can. You can play uh, it, but you got to throw out the what is it now? Six hundred bucks. Six fifty. No, it's like it's, over six hundred. It is. It is. Um, yeah, it is the patio furniture of golf courses. <laughs> right? Why does Damn. fake wood so- cost so much more than real wood? It really does. It really does. Damn it. Well, like I said, that um, the tea test is live on the website. Go take a look. Couple some great findings and things to make you think. And. Tony and Harry, you guys deserve a vacation. And actually, let's everybody give a virtual high five. Yeah, I was going to say, Philip, to Philip for running it. a great test. Let's buy the man yeah. some pretzels. Yeah. yeah. We've also got the Blade test coming out here in the near future. We're crunching a date. It's still on that. Blade putters, to be clear. Sorry, yes. Sorry, blade putters. What do you mean? We're not testing swords anymore? <laughs> no. Some razors. <laughs> Done. When do we get the swing speed breakdown? That'll come much more quickly this year. Yeah. Can I get yeah. that this afternoon? It's coming next month. Early March. next month, I would check, guess. Yeah. Check your March edition. All right, guys. Thanks for a great show. We out.